0: From my side too, Um, I want to just add my deep appreciation to the worship team. Uh, If you weren't in any way moved and encouraged, you might need to check your pulse. Um, I find that that it ministers to me when we can focus on words that focus on God and who He is. And so I just want to echo what Sue's saying. that That is our primary goal with these evenings uh, over the rest of the month of March. Um, Yeah, we don't want to just, we we don't want to kind of start year with good intentions and then kind of just, you know, trip and stumble and and hobble through the rest of the year. Uh, And oh, yeah, Easter's, okay, Easter's come, Easter's gone. Okay, when's Christmas? And we just move on. We actually want to create rhythmic opportunities for us to just keep feeding uh, on life-giving opportunities to be with Jesus, so that hopefully, over time, we will become like Jesus, so that hopefully, as a natural result, we will do what Jesus did. Uh, That is our goal. If you're new to our church, that's it. Those are our three goals. We wanna order our lives and help others order their lives around being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus would do. It changes our lives. We cannot be with him, uh, enjoy a life-giving, growing relationship with him, and not be moved, not be changed, not grow, not naturally uh, overflow where we are the most in following him. And so even the series that we're doing on generosity, it is one of our eight core biblical values in addition to things like celebration and unity and humility and devotion. Uh, But generosity, I believe, is a key biblical core value. Like it's not just a nice thing. I know we all like generosity, especially if we're on the receiving end of it, but there's something that I think starts to change in our heart to the extent that we realize how generous God has been to us, it's to that extent that slowly but surely we can't help but, but loosen the grip a little bit and, and actually want to hold loosely, kindly, generously, sensitively to, to the things that, that He has entrusted to us. We, we want to live generous lives. Now generosity encamps every, or, or includes every part. Of our lives, but we are looking during this season in particular around the part of financial generosity. So, how it is that we actually deal with our finances? If you weren't here last week, I would strongly encourage you to go and watch the video or listen to the podcast. Our national leader Byron Chicken did an incredible job, I thought, of just laying a foundation. Just, just six great principles when it comes to our attitude towards money and how it plays such a key role in our discipleship to Jesus. So I do need to acknowledge a quick disclaimer, right? Everyone's paying attention. If you're not a Christian, just so you know, you are extremely welcome. So if you're exploring Christianity, you're trying to figure all this out and you're not sure what you believe and and you're not following him, like you are free. You are released. You don't have to take seriously anything I'm saying to you you can just peek in and take a look at what the Bible says about our hearts and the connection and and God's vision for generosity, God's vision for financial stewardship, God's vision for honoring Him and His purposes through the way that we handle our money. Now, today it is exceptionally simple. I'm gonna give you the overview right up front and then I'm gonna try and make a case for what it is that I want you to leave with. My single goal is for every single person here to leave here today, or if you're joining us online by the time you log off, if you haven't nodded off already, that you will catch a greater understanding. And that's not something that I can convince you of. It genuinely is something that that actually God's Spirit has to help us see, that we would have a greater awareness and appreciation for the fact that He is our provider. If it doesn't start with the fact that it starts with Him, if it doesn't start with the fact that everything we have Ultimately, if you're really going to break it down, it comes from Him, or at least the ability that He's given us to produce an income, or the family that, 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 that you were fortunate enough to get born into, or maybe you were unfortunate in the family lottery that you got born in. I'm saying that loosely, don't worry, there's not a lottery system in heaven. Um, and you've kind of you know pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and been able to make something of yourself. I want to make a case for the fact that God is the one who's given us any ability any intellect, the raw materials, at least for the drive that we have. Now, yes, we play a big role in, the, in terms of our diligence, our faithfulness. Just so you know, it's a partnership. It's, it's not like winning the lottery, okay? It's not if you pray the right prayer or you give the right amount at the right time for the right, no, no. It's, there's a partnership where we are diligent. God does what he can, we do what we can. So there is this partnership, But but we cannot... Well, we can. We should not forget that God is our provider. I want to take a look at at a very simple but powerful passage found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. But before I do that, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Uh, the first few books of the Bible starts with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy is the first book. It's, it's, what, it's what, in Jewish uh, spiritual literature would be called the Torah. Um, it's otherwise it's known as the Law of Moses. It, these are the five books that Moses is given credit for for documenting and writing for us. Um, but what's different or interesting about the book of Deuteronomy is that where the book of Exodus uh, we read the account of the Israelites who, who have been uh, enslaved in Egypt, delivered by Moses, and then led through the wilderness, which took them 40 years, even though it was an 11-day journey, just to be clear. And God didn't have a GPS problem. It wasn't because Google Maps weren't around. It wasn't a direction. They weren't lost for 11, sorry, for, for 40 years in terms of direction and geography. They were lost for 40 years in terms of their hearts. And God was very intentional about delivering. Super, so he did what only he could do. He was supernatural in delivering them out of slavery, out of 400 years of slavery. Do you, can you imagine what that does to a mindset where, where your parents grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents, great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents great are all slaves. Do you know what that does to your way of thinking, to your identity, to where you're just a machine? You're only as valuable as what we can get out of you. I mean, I know I know no one feels like that nowadays, but but can you imagine what it would be like coming out of 400 years of slavery and God had to get... So he had delivered them from slavery, he had delivered them from Egypt, but now he had to get Egypt out of them, he had to get this slave mentality out of them, and even though he had a promised land available, he had a promise available, he had to prepare them to be able to steward the promised land. But basically every person over the age of, I think it was 20 that had been delivered from Egypt basically died in the wilderness and God had to try and and raise up a whole new generation that that were willing to have a little more faith than their parents and grandparents so that they could go into the promised land and actually steward it well and not allow the blessings to destroy them, which many would argue often happens. In fact, the greatest thing that happens in or through blessings is that instead of a memory, we develop a forgettery. We forget where it came from. And it's so easy for parents and grandparents to, to not pass that on to children where there's this sense of appreciation and gratitude as opposed to entitlement. And this was no different. So the book of Deuteronomy is an account 40 years later. So Exodus is the account from 40 years before. Deuteronomy is the account 40 years later. Moses is about to die. God is about to do miracles in the way that he delivers and, and, and uh, destroys and, and, and possesses, helps, helps the Israelites to possess the promised land. But again, it's not just about being able to fight, it's about being able to actually sustain the goodness of God, a land flowing with milk, and honey. And so Moses is giving this account, and he is he is both reminding them and he is preparing them. And I don't want us to miss how significant this is and how applicable it is to us in 2023. So reading from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, and starting in verse 2. He has a key word, it says remember. Remember, this is Moses speaking, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for those or these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. I know we don't like that, but guys, that's how we grow. We, we, we go through fire, we, 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 the heat gets turned up and we have to, like it reveals stuff about us that we get to address. It is humbling and it develops our character. And to find out whether or not you would obey his commands, Some of us think that we'll obey his commands when everything's great. I think that's when it's hardest, to obey his commands and to remember. Verse three, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to your ancestors. Before Uber Eats and Mr. Delivery and I don't know who else we, God provided supernaturally for 40 years, every morning they'd wake up and boom, there's food outside their front door. Now, we might think that that would make them lazy, and and I don't know, maybe it did, but but it kept reminding them how dependent they were on the provision of God. He did this to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Very famous passage that Jesus quoted during his 40 days of testing and temptation, when Satan, Satan, I know we often blame the devil, just so you know, he's one person that can be in one place at one time. It's highly unlikely that you've got his attention like personally, just so you know. If you do, you're probably doing something right, to be honest. I know that sounds weird. But I mean like the real deal. He had Satan trying to tempt him after 40 days. Verse four, for all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about that for a moment. I don't know what that looked like, I mean that's weird, right? I grew I think I grew something like 30 centimeters in grade eight. So like it was noticeable. And like even the space between my eyes grew just a little bit too much so that I had to do all I've got so many issues. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So so like you notice, you notice when your clothes don't fit you anymore. You know, when you're growing. When your feet when your feet grow from like size one to size twelve or thirteen, like you know, okay, okay. Imagine you wearing the same pair of shoes that you wore when you were six, and now you're 26. That's a little bit weird, but it's also quite significant. And and you know what? I wonder, this is just me, this is Jason's brain, I wonder if they even noticed. Because again, we can just take stuff for granted. Oh, Oh, now that you mention it, suppose I had never actually had to buy a new coat, a new Perry sandals. Then, reading from verse 6, So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out into the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten, you're full. Here's what I want to pay attention to. When you have eaten, you're full. Be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Some commentators suggested this is where the idea of saying grace or thanking God for our food after we've eaten it comes from, in the sense of, okay, let's not take it for granted. And by the way, in some way, I mean, it makes sense to want to bless your food before you eat it, although it is weird if you're eating really toxic food and asking God to bless it, but that's a different story. But, But it does actually make sense to thank God afterwards. God, thank you that I've been able to eat this, that I've been able to receive this. Okay, now, here's the part where we go bold and italicized, but... This is the time to be careful. So when everything's good, when you're eating your full, when you're enjoying the land that is flowing with, with McDonald's, with Woolies with treats, with whatever. Okay, this is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, 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 the wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from a rock. I'm just telling you that I think part of the reason that Moses is needing to remind them of these things is because I think they forgot. The reason why we sometimes need to be reminded that God is good, that, that, that He is still able to provide, that He is still with us, is because we forget. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble and test you for your own good. He did all of this. So you would never say to yourself, here's the key verse. If you don't read anything else again after this, in terms of this message, this is the part. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember, verse 18. So I want you to remember, verse 17 and 18. Remember, the Lord your God, He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. Uh, Well, I worked really hard. Sure. Sure, that's good. I studied hard. I've been diligent. I've had a job since I was 14 years old. We can all say we've worked hard. But he's the one who gives me the ability. He's the one who gives you the ability. He's the one. He's the one who, in some cases, has allowed some people to have far better opportunities than others. We know that. We know that we live in one of the least equal countries in the world. If that doesn't humble us, um, like that scares me. That scares me that those of us that have been, that have benefited from, in some cases, some un, not some evil, unequal legal systems. If we, if that doesn't humble us. Now, I don't think that the result should be guilt. I think the result should be gratitude and stewardship. It should be humility and stewardship. I think that it should be gratitude and generosity because God is the one who gives you the power or the ability to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Bless you. Some very quick points. Just some principles that I want you to remember before I give you some personal examples. Remembering God as our provider will make us humble, not proud. Personally, I don't think that there's anything that repels God more than pride. Christians, if you're familiar with the Christian world and you've been in our church for a long time, you will have heard Pharisees often dissed and getting a bad rap and all the rest. But it wasn't actually about the Pharisees. A lot of Pharisees were challenged by Jesus and dissed. But it was those that were proud. It wasn't all Pharisees. There's some good stories of Pharisees in the Bible, these religious leaders. But what, Je- but what freaked Jesus out was where there was a self-righteousness, where there was a pride, where there was an arrogance. And I'm just telling you that if, you, if God has given you the ability... Be humble, not proud. Second, we need to be grateful and not entitled. Entitled is where we just think, well, like, like I'm owed this, aren't I? And that is the, so, so just like pride is the shadow side of those that have been given opportunities and have been privileged, I think sometimes entitlement can be the shadow side of those that have not. And, and, and I'm saying both are unhealthy. It is not healthy to think that I just deserve whatever I want, even just whatever I think I need. No, no, there is, guys, food is a human right, but God allowed them to recognize their need for Him to provide. I know that things have changed over the years, but but for millennia, farmers did what they could, but they had to rely on God to bring rain, to bring the right amount of rain, to bring sun. There's a gratitude, not an entitlement. We don't take God's kindness, provision, and opportunities for granted. And I'm just telling you, it's easy to do that. Especially, especially if, you, if you receive a consistent income, it's, it's easy to just take it for granted. And not to recognize, what a, what a blessing it is. If you have a job, man, I'm telling you that there are a lot of people no matter how much you might dislike it. And I'm not saying that you should be okay with being exploited or abused, not for a moment, that's evil, that's a whole other story. But I'm just telling you that there are a lot of people that would be willing to do anything. Where there's a hunger and a desperation for a job. Some of you know my story about how I landed up in Australia at 19. Like, in a natural, it seemed by accident, but I think, in retrospect, it might have been God and His sovereignty. Well, I'm pretty sure it was. But... I was a white, middle-class South African that went to live in Australia in 1995. And through a series of events, uh, my parents were were only able to help get me there. They were not, they they were limited in how much they could do to help me continue to pay for college and, uh, and my board and lodging. I was very grateful that I had the opportunity to get into college, I was very grateful that I had the opportunity to live with a family. They were not a wealthy family, so, so it made a difference. Like I couldn't just take that for granted. And <clears throat> I was at a, at a meeting very soon after landing um, in Australia, I think it was like a week later or two weeks later, whatever. And um, we were at some special event, they were taking up an offering, and they did a good job <laughs> of motivating this offering, like a good job. Um, but I felt the prompting that God was saying to me, Jason, give it all. Now, I, to this day, I can't tell you, with, because it's not scientific, I can't tell you with 100% certainty. But I, I felt, I thought that God was saying, give it all. I, I tried to be semi-diligent, and I kind of like still went home and waited, because back then, you don't have, like you don't tap cards. You don't double-click your phone. It's cash. It's cash money, baby. It's cash. So... <laughs> So, so I still had like a night and part of a day to think about this, and, but I, I thought maybe this is what God's wanting me to do. I, I want to exercise faith. And so anyway, I went back, because it was like a weekend event, I went back that evening and put it all in the offering. This was like, this was like six months worth of college fees, and it was going to help with my board and lodging, etc. And I don't know if you've ever done something like that, like maybe you've paid an EFT to tithe or to someone, or the church, whatever, and you're like, "Who can I reverse? Can I re-? like, 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 you, like, you, like there should be some way to get that back, right? Yeah. There are two other honest people in this church. <laughs> now, I'm not going to lie. I was panicking. All of a sudden, because I'm a thinker, like a million thoughts went through my mind. What about, what about? One of them was definitely, don't tell your dad. Because... <laughs> Because it cost them. Again, if you're a parent, you know this isn't. I mean, for most of us, that's not easy. Like, it cost him. There was a sacrifice. And how do I convince him that it was God? So I wasn't going to tell him. Unfortunately, we didn't have WhatsApp and anything like that back then. So it's like, you know, you wait for the next week's phone call that has a three-second delay between, ah, uh, you're good. No, 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 how are you? You know, it, it, this was in the dark ages. We still wrote letters. It just took six weeks to reply. To, to reply. But anyway... I was stressed, like seriously stressed, and uh, I was sitting in church the next morning because that was a Saturday night, and I'm in church very similar to this, um, but I was living in Brisbane. If you've ever been to Australia, Brisbane is like Durban on steroids, okay? It's like hell, I mean Durban. It's, it's, it is hectic, okay? I was here a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, you should do altar calls every day. Like you can just scare people into the kingdom with how, if this is hot, anyway, that's a different story. So, so, so it's hot, would not have aircon, but they had these monster fans. Like, his fans are, like, on the stage and blowing, blowing, blowing. And back then, we would still come to church with an actual Bible, like a paper Bible. Those still exist, by the way, if you're a millennial or a Gen Z. And, and as the fan, now, I'm, I'm sitting in church, man. I'm not, I'm, I'm not listening to anything. I'm like, what have I done? Like, I'm like, what am I going to do? I was, I'm just trying to make you feel better if ever you've tried to do the right thing, and then you're immediately, the doubt creeps in all this. Anyway, the fan blows, pages like... Um, And it just stops on a page where I had it highlighted, the righteous will live by faith. In Romans 1 verse, I think it's verse 7 or something. And I was like, that might not be God, but I'm taking it. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I've got faith. I am exercising faith. And here's the point. I can't tell you that God, in fact, I think it's a better story to say that God didn't write me a check and give it to me through somebody later that day or the next day to reimburse me for, uh, for the six months of college fees, or to help me. By the way, in Australia, it's cruel. You pay board and lodging every week, not once a month, like you're stressed permanently. It's like Thursday's always coming, and if I don't have money, I needed $70 every Thursday to pay on the Friday. And I'm just telling you, as a white, semi-middle class South African, it humbled me in all the best ways. I'm just being blunt with you. I'd never cleaned a toilet in my life before. I was willing to clean toilets. I, was, I, I became a janitor for a couple of weeks because that was all I could get for two weeks while someone was on leave. I washed windows with, 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 with a crew at the, at the airport because that's what I could get for a day and every now and then, there'd, there'd be a day. Um, I had an opportunity to, to get on the list for the Danone yogurt factory, uh, which, where they would literally only phone you on generally, kind of late morning, early afternoon. If their permanent staff, if, if they didn't have enough people to actually work that night, so then they'd give, so you're a casual, and a short notice. Hey, do you want to come work tonight? Um, and then it's just it's just stacking stuff. It's taking stuff off the conveyor belt onto a pallet. Conveyor belt onto a pallet. It's from eleven o'clock at night till seven o'clock the next morning. Drive home, have a shower, try stay awake, in college, etc. I I cannot tell you to this day how grateful. I became, not just for the provision of money, for the provision of work. And I, and I never would have imagined that I could so appreciate the opportunity to do anything. I mean, I can't, I can't even think of all this, all, all this. I'm like, God, can't you just please give me a permanent job that I can just, that I can just know that I've, I've got work and it's gonna work out. And, and you know what? It, what was the closest thing to a semi-permanent job was telemarketing telemarketing is from the devil. <laughs> it was the most soul-destroying to this day. I'm telling you, I, I worked for, I was part of the very, very first staff at the very, very first Paneratis that opened up in, there by Tiger Valley. When I was 14 years old, I was like, I'll, I'll do anything. I've done many different things. Telemarketing, it's from the pit of hell. It is, It is soul-destroying. I had to try and... I would harass people in the middle of their day. I mean, you all know the story. And they're like effing you, and what are you doing? And well, I'm like, I'm, so, I'm just trying to sell you something, you know? <laughs> I know it's rubbish, but that's my job. I don't think I sold a single, a single product. It was a terrible product. But, but now, how do you quit when you've been praying for work? Yeah. In my opinion, you can't. Yeah. So I'm like, God, please, let them fire me. <laughs> It's not like I wasn't good. I was terrible. I did not sell a single thing. <laughs> it was like some random holiday packages and who knows where from some who knows what hotel. They're like, don't care. It's, I mean, it was a terrible product. I've never been so grateful to eventually be fired in my life as what I was when they eventually gave up. And like I mean, I think they felt bad. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You're doing me a favor right now. I'm okay. But every, other than that, I think that was for a few months. Other than that, every other opportunity I had it was it was literally like a week to week story. And I had to trust God for this week. And then, okay, whew, board and lodgings paid Friday. Then Monday comes again. It's like, oh, what am I gonna do this week? And and the cycle just repeated and because I'm a slow learner, okay? So it obviously took me a while to start to relax and I'm willing to do whatever I can. Like genuinely, as long as it wasn't sin and immoral, I was willing to do anything. And I and I became grateful for God's provision of work. And hopefully I will never take that for granted again. When we realize that God is our provider, when we realize that He is our provider, we will be grateful and not entitled. And maybe some things go on in our lives, that's all of us. That that remind us hey, God's your provider. There was something that, there was an opportunity just recently to be generous. I'm like, I'm looking at, I'm thinking sums and budget, and, and I'm preparing this message, and I feel like God's saying, am I your provider? Like, you can trust me, and I've got stories. I'm just telling you, if there's someone that should be able to trust God as my provider, it is me. Another thought is that it'll make us responsible, not guilty. That's where I refer to the idea of maybe you have had opportunities. Maybe you've been given a bursary. Maybe you've been able to get get an education that you think anyone else, if they were driven enough, determined enough, they'd be able to get. But it's not because not every person has the same IQ, the same capacity, the same uh, vocational um, orientations and skills. The answer is not to be guilty or to feel bad about it. It is to be grateful and to hold on to what God has given us with a level of responsibility. Another thought is that it will make us open-handed, not tight-fisted. Next time you have an opportunity to trust God with something or to, or to give or to be generous, I wanna just simply ask the question, God, am I being tight-fisted or am I being open-handed? Deuteronomy 15 verse seven, so same book of the Bible, but just a few chapters on, it says, if there are any poor uh, Israel, Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land, the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. I want you to see the correlation between being tight-fisted and hard-hearted. Hard-heart, tight-fist, soft-heart, open-hand. And then lastly, I think, trust and obey, not fear and hoard. And I get that. I get that if you just look at the facts, it can be scary. And there's, there's a place for diligence. We'll get to that in the series. There's absolutely a place for diligence, for saving, for, uh, for, for budgeting correctly, for reporting correctly, for living within your means. It is healthy to save. I'm talking about fear-driven hoarding, where someone like John D. Rockefeller was asked how much will be enough when he was the richest man in the world, and he was like, just a little bit more. That, 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 that says you don't have money, money has you. I'm so moved by even just just reading. I've been meditating on Exodus 34 for a couple of reasons the last few days and just just coming across verse 21 onwards. Recently, where it says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day, you must stop working, even during the seasons of plowing and harvest. This is referring to the Sabbath and we talk about this from time to time in our church. I wanna point out to you that basically God is saying, I'm gonna help you do in six days what you think will take seven because I am your provider. He's saying, even in your seasons of harvest, You must celebrate the festival of harvest with the first crop of the wheat of harvest and celebrate the festival of the final harvest at the end of harvest season. Three times, think about this, three times each, some of us struggle to take a couple of days of once a year. Three times each year, every man in Israel must appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will, look at this, drive out the other nations ahead of you and expand your territory so no one will covet and conquer your land while you appear before the Lord your God three times each year. Now words, Jesus saying, I will protect I will provide. I think we so misunderstand the law in the Old Testament, thinking that it's God's way of just like drilling and just giving us a million more things that we can fail at. No, no. He was trying to form a mentality, form a heart, form a culture. When you you are a subsistence farmer and you're being told there are three times a year, it doesn't matter what season it is, it doesn't matter what's happening, you're gonna stop and I will protect That might sound great for us reading this and thinking, oh, that's wonderful. When you're the farmer, when God says, stop working, you've got six days to do everything else, paid work and unpaid work. Like there's one day a week that is a gift to rest. That means that we trust him as our provider. God, you can help me do in six days what I think will take seven. God, you can help me do in eight or 10 or 12 hours what I think will take 36. God, you will help me do in 11 months what I think will take 12. God, you can do with 90% of what you provided for me what I think will take 110%. It's all about God is our provider. And maybe as we have opportunity in the series, I'll give you some more. Like, like, I can't convince you. I can't. I'm not responsible for how you receive these things. I can just give you my stories and other people's stories. I can just tell you that nothing about our lives has made sense from a financial point of view. I can remember... The first thing my dad said when I said that I think God's calling me into the ministry and because he's a caring father, like he was just being practical. Okay, you know you'll never have money, right? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like I had to come, accept, come to accept it. I mean, it wasn't faith-building, but it was like, okay, I'll, I'll accept it. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't afford to live. God provided opportunities for me to live. I remember. I remember the one day. I think I've told the story before. Where I was sitting at the church. This is in Tableview, and uh, and like genu- like like. I mean, I mean, I had to budget to the. Ra- I would drive out to Epping once a month and buy. I think it's from County Fair. These like massive boxes of frozen chicken from the Ark Age. It's, it's chicken breast, and I'd let it thaw a little bit so I can break it up, and, and, and I would try and get, get get through the month. Peanut butter and bread was my friend, and I had a bicycle which I was grateful for. And I remember sitting my office one day thinking, because back then, uh, now it's Woolworths, but they used to be, I think it was a fruit and veg across the road. And uh, they, they, they would make these grilled chickens. Now Woolworths makes grilled chickens, amazing. I like chicken, I like grilled chicken, just so you know, like a lot. Especially if it's juicy, don't make it dry. That's weird. I'm go, please, because please, I, I can give you dramatic stories, and I can, maybe I will, in the series, because there have been some dramatic stories. But I'm telling you, on that day, I remember thinking, yes, God, oh, I mean, I was, I was hungry, blah, blah, blah. That's not a sob story, I'm just telling you, we all go through those, those seasons in our lives. I remember thinking, yes, God, it'd be, yes, it'd be amazing to just have like one of those grilled chickens. Just so you know, I can eat a whole grilled chicken. If you're thinking I'm gonna, like on a, on a pie or a drumstick, I don't understand it. A Knock on the window. An unsaved mother of a friend that was a volunteer with us was standing outside the window with a grilled chicken from fruit and veg across the road. I'm just telling you. I was like, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. <laughs> Guys, there have been so many stories. I'm just, look, I can only tell you my conviction. The sums, the sums do not work out for us. But I'm telling you, God is, maybe He's not your provider, but He's my provider. Over and over. And it's not just in the financial stuff. Like, God's known what I've needed. I know that, I mean, there have been times over the years where I've just been so discouraged or whatever. And like someone would, I'd be working at the church trying to prepare something on a Saturday for the Sunday and just, just dead. I was just empty, dead, tired. And friend would just knock on the window, hey, can we take you for lunch? And it would just be this life-giving life giving Just this life-giving fellowship. I'm just telling you, God is our provider. He knows what you need. He knows what you need. I'm not talking about what you want. I'm talking about what you need. He knows what you need, and He knows the need beneath the need. God is your provider. So will we trust Him? Next time we have an opportunity, next time that question pops up in our minds, who who? Who is actually the provider? Like, is it all just me? Or has God given me the ability? Has God given me the power? Because if it's from Him, then I'm going to be soft-hearted and open-handed and open to Him prompting us to be generous. And you know what? This is my personal opinion. I'd rather get it wrong trying to be generous than get it wrong being too stingy. So, like, seriously, like what's the worst thing that, that can happen if you're getting it wrong and you're genuinely being generous? You're not you're not doing it for your own ego, you're not doing it because you're gonna get plastered over, over social media. I'm saying like you genuinely you think this is what God wants you to do. I've taken people into our in fact every person, no, until recently, I must just be clear, because we have someone living with us now. Up until recently, every person that we ever took into our house stole from us. Don't worry, no one living with us right now has stolen from us. So, so of course the thought is, God, like, like, was that wrong? Why does it have to be wrong because someone doesn't steward the generosity that you've given? And if it was wrong, I'm like, you know what? I'd rather, I'd rather err on trying to be generous. I'd rather err on trying to be compassionate. Our, like us trying to be generous, it's changed our lives in what might look on the outside as an enormous amount of pain and grief and loss But I'm telling you, when you look at it through God's lens, like what is the worth of a person? So what if you don't see this beautiful story that that should appear on the cover of a magazine unfold within the first three days of you loving someone or being generous? Is it possible that God's arc that He looks at is over decades? I'm telling you, if we will settle this in our hearts and our minds that He is our provider, we will be generous. Agreed? Yeah. When you stand, let's pray.